0: Welcome to American Student Radio. I'm your host, Sophia Salby, and I'm in the studio with producer Taylor Haggerty. This week, we're playing our favorite stories from this past spring in our first Best Of show. I asked our producers what stories surprised them, changed their perspective, or just sounded really cool. And today, we'll be playing some of them. So I hope you enjoy them as much as we did.
1: From Blue... mm, (laughs) From... I got
2: live... What is it? Oh, ready? Should I do it again?
3: From Indiana University in Bloomington.
2: From Indiana University in Bloomington.
3: This is... This is... This is American Student Radio.
4: Real chill. Real chill. Aliens, conspiracy, journalism, and lesbians.
0: Our first story comes from our third show and was produced by Matt Bloom. It starts with a special package in the mail. Hannah Fleece had been waiting to get get her hair bow from Etsy for a week. she picked out this one for a reason, to show everyone she was proud of Joe, her boyfriend who was deployed in Kuwait with the U.S. Army. The bow was made of green camouflage and had Joe's last name printed on it, Chrisman. But when she got the package in the mail, nothing
5: was right. Hannah had been tracking her package from Etsy all week.
6: I knew the day it was supposed to come in. I think it was like... A Thursday.
5: So, one afternoon, she gets home from class.
6: And I check my phone, and it said the package has arrived. It's, like, at my address. And so I sprint out the door and over to the mailboxes across the parking lot. And, like, my key isn't working, and it's, like, making this awful jangling noise, and I can't get the box open, and I'm freaking out. I grab the package, and I run back to the apartment, I rip it open. And it's wrong. It's this like brown and tan marine desert camo with the last name black in cursive
5: this was not the bow that hannah had ordered
6: and i just i was so mad i was just like i don't know who this person is i don't know who this bow belongs to but it's not me and inside was the invoice for the bow and so i look at it and it's this girl named christine smith from colorado
5: So Hannah put the hair bow on her coffee table and went to work, stewing over the mail mix-up. It normally wouldn't have been a big deal, but that week, as Hannah puts it, was just one of those weeks.
6: I don't know, I calmed down at work. After a while, I had some time to think about it. And I just got to thinking that, like, I was so miserable that week because, like, I felt really alone. And I guess at work, I kind of, like, came to this realization that some girl named Christine is also... Dating a guy in the military, and I didn't know anything about her. Um, Like, I didn't know if he was deployed or how long they've been dating or what his job is, or like, I don't know anything about them, but it like all of a sudden made me feel better that somebody was like, might know what I was going through. And so I came home and I wrote her a letter of everything I wish somebody had told me that week Dear Christine. I was expecting an ACU bow with my soldier's last name on it, so I was surprised today when I got the USMC camo with black on it. To be honest, I was having a really bad day and I was so excited to get the bow. Parentheses, they're adorable. But now I'm glad the mistake was made. Uh, sometimes it's hard to date a man, date and love a man in uniform. Mine has been deployed for a month and a half, and it can be hard to get out of bed some days. So if you need encouragement or a pick me up, please know that you and Marine Black are in my prayers. I pray for both peace on the crazy days and strength on the tough days. I don't know if you guys or what you've been through, but you've got people on your side. I'm rooting for you guys and wish you so much happiness. If you ever need someone to talk to, please feel free to write or email me. Hugs, Hannah.
5: Hannah posted about her hair bow mix-up on Facebook, which is where I first saw it. Part of the post read like this. It's hard to find people who understand how you feel when the months drag on and he's in harm's way. But this, dot dot dot, it was pretty serendipitous that I got that bow today. Maybe she'll write back, maybe not. But at least she'll know another military girlfriend is thinking of her.
6: I just, I just got out and showed you the video. Alright, I gotta hang on.
5: I get to Hannah's, and she and Joe, oh, okay, her boyfriend, it, like, are FaceTime He was getting ready to go to the post office to mail the letter and the bow to Christine. She was also about to send a big package to Kuwait for Joe. That's where he's stationed, almost 7,000 miles away. What you're hearing right now is a video of Joe from Hannah's cell phone. Joe is riding what looks sort of like a four-wheeler, him and another soldier in the middle of the desert, wearing uniforms and hats. They're driving through the largest puddle of mud I've ever seen. Joe is a wheeled vehicle mechanic, so he works on everything except for the tanks. He's three months into his nine-month deployment. And he's the reason Hannah ordered the bow from Etsy.
6: When you have a long-distance relationship like this, you attach yourself to, like, things. Since you can't have the person there, like a tangible person, you, like, hang on to things.
5: Maybe you have a keychain that reminds you of that family vacation you took last summer, or a picture on the wall in your house that belonged to your grandfather. For me, I keep some sheet music from my grandmother's music collection kind of cheesy i know but the point i'm trying to make is that basically all of us have these things that come into our lives that we hang on to and this camouflage hair bow that hannah had ordered from etsy was supposed to be one of them
6: everybody has things like i have a professor at iu who wears a silver necklace with her preemie baby's footprint in it and to, like, anybody else, that's just, like, some necklace with, a like, a tiny footprint in it. Your grandfather's watch is just a watch that's kind of ratty and old-looking and, like, you should get a new one. And, like, if you put all the things that mean something to people in a room, it would look like a pawn shop.
5: We head to the post office to mail the bow.
6: <laughs> I don't know why I got so excited. I'm really, really excited to mail this. It's going to be awesome. What if this is, like, the start of some, like, crazy friendship? What if it's not? I don't. I'm never gonna know. Well, I will know, but like, not right now.
5: Hannah hands it over to a post office worker, and that's it.
7: or credit?
6: Um, credit.
5: She waits to see what happens, and waits and waits. A month and a half goes by, and nothing. No email. No letter. Nothing from Christine. So in the meantime, I Skype Amira Prim, the owner of the Etsy shop Hannah ordered the bow from.
8: Hold on i clicked oh, there see. might be
5: a video sharing thing. oh there you go there you go hey girl Hi. your scarf is awesome
8: <laughs> thank you i actually got it at target for like three dollars
5: target oh my yeah, gosh lifesaver seriously though i asked her where she got the idea to start selling these military hair bows on etsy
8: um you know how you get on pinterest and it's a rabbit hole it's a rabbit hole you end up with 12 open like you know, tabs, and all of them are these blogs and all this kind of stuff, and it was while my girlfriend was at um, Basic, and um, I saw this bow on there. I think it was a Marine bow, and I thought that's really, really cute.
5: She also makes other customizable stuff like cups and keychains with Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marine insignia pressed on them.
8: It's a way that it makes you feel to be able to hold on to something that's so close to this person that you can't hold on to you know
5: amira's etsy shop is called the milso shop short for military spouse she'd been selling things on it for almost a year i start telling amira about hannah's situation about how she sent a letter to christine reaching out as a fellow military girlfriend just that like just reaching out to her has given her a lot like yeah a lot of not that she was unstable or anything before but you know it it just it has done something to her it's changed her so yeah, I know I
8: totally understand. Yeah. It's really isolating. I haven't been through deployment, but the distance alone um, is, is really isolating, and I can understand how you would feel like nobody else gets it. Because usually the people around you, don't, unless you're married and you happen to live on base or you live in a military town, a lot of people just don't get it.
5: She made the decision to start donating to the Wounded Warrior Project last year after she got one order that really impacted her.
8: Um, it was an In Loving Memory cup for a Marine who had served um, all these years and then um, come home and with PTSD and lost his battle with that. He uh, ended up committing suicide. I don't know. I was just so honored that she was using my shop to remember somebody so important. Like, yeah, people use my shop to remember somebody who's far away or who is deployed, you know, or who's at boot camp or to look cute at the at boot camp graduation or something like that. But like, she was like using my shop to remember somebody who she could never see again.
2: Um. Okay. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. It says, Dear Christine, I was expecting an HCU bow with my soldier's last name on it, so I was surprised today when I got the United States Marine Corps camera with black on it.
5: After waiting more than a month and a half, Hannah finally gets an email from a girl named Christine Smith. It's the girl who ordered the bow with the name black on it.
2: Um, I went and I saw that I had it mail, so I went to check it, and I they handed me this box, and I was like, I didn't order anything mm. like what is this mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I was looking at it and I was looking at the name and I was like this name like sounds really familiar oh but my gosh. <laughs> I have no idea who this is.
5: Hannah and I are Skyping her at her school in Colorado. She's a sophomore at Colorado Christian University. Her boyfriend Brandon is in the Marines and he's stationed at a base in Florida. She has almost the exact same reaction Hannah did. She opens the box on her way back to her apartment.
2: And as soon as I, like, opened it, I saw the bow inside. And I was, right away, I knew, like, (laughs) what it was and figured it out. And then I started reading the note, and I just burst into tears. And I was like, oh my gosh, it was so sweet. It touched my heart so much.
5: The thing that struck me as the three of us were sitting there talking on Skype, Hannah and I in Bloomington, Christine in Lakewood, was how much the two of them had in common. Christine would share a story about the struggles of dating a guy in the military. Then Hannah would share another story about dating a guy in the military. I've already told them like, if you call me in class, I'm leaving class. <laughs> I don't Dude,
6: care. <laughs> same here. I'll get up and leave, I'll be like, this is an emergency. <laughs> 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 Gotta go.
5: <laughs> it was totally friends going back and forth about things that only friends talk about. They were talking about things that I couldn't possibly begin to understand about dating in the military.
2: I don't know. It's almost like being in a constant state of anxiety. (laughs) And you try as hard as you try not to be. It doesn't really matter. Like, you're still anxious and
6: worried for them. That is so true. That's like, (laughs) that is the most true thing I've heard today, I feel like. If I don't hear something from Joe for a while, I always assume that it's some kind of, like, mission or something of that nature. And you just can't do anything. You just spend the whole day freaking out, checking your phone constantly. Like, my friends will want to go do something, and I'm, okay, yeah, I'll go. But you can't focus on anything. You're just kind of half there. It sucks. It's a sucky feeling. (laughs)
5: Christine is also the admin of a private Facebook page with Brandon's company's significant others. She says they all talk every single day. Why do you think it's important that you have that connection, those, those friendships?
2: Um, because no one understands like they do. And, and you know, it's something like a long-distance relationship is really difficult, but when it's a military long-distance relationship, It's not only difficult, it's scary, because you never know when they're not going to come home.
5: Since Christine got Hannah's letter and wrote back to her, the two of them have been messaging back and forth online about Hannah's worries, how Joe is doing, how Brandon is doing. Before, Hannah and Christine were total strangers. But now, because of this little hair bow, they had been brought together.
6: So this is the bow. And it's, I mean, it's really soft. The fabric is like the, like accordion ribbon. And you can tell it's put together with super glue and the little, the little beret.
5: Joe's last name is printed on the bow. Chrisman, in neat white letters. Hannah's getting ready for work now. She's making steamed vegetables and packing them up in a Tupperware box. The last thing she does before leaving, she clips the bow to the back of her hair.
6: Yeah, I'm going to put the bow in my hair for work.
5: It looks awesome.
6: And all of a sudden this bow comes that wasn't right. And it like would have, it did make me mad and I was upset about it, but then it ended up like being this like reminder that you can get through anything and that like, you're never alone, no matter who you are or what your circumstances, you're just not alone.
5: For American Student Radio, I'm Matt Bloom.
0: Our language show, hosted by Stephen Johnson, was so incredible. I actually chose two, two stories from it. The first comes from Sarah Whaley, an interview with her Thai professor, Saria, who's found that learning a new
9: language is really learning a new self. So at first, I saw some flags, some white flags. I thought that would be snow, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> so I just observed the flakes or looked out of the window for some minutes, and suddenly I heard... Some kids around the neighborhood scream. So my first name is Suriya. My last name is Siprom, but in Thai culture for us, it's more common to go by first name, you know, because last name was something I mean, is something quite new for us. In the past, we didn't have last name.
10: Right before Thanksgiving was Surya's first time seeing snow. He had just finished his linguistics PhD in Thailand when he was asked to come to Indiana University as an exchange
9: professor. What it mean by That you can write and pronounce. I'm teaching Thai at IU. Before I came here, I taught Thai to foreign students in a university in Bangkok. Surya
10: grew up on Phuket, an island in the south of Thailand. It is a famous tourist destination and therefore full of other languages.
9: When I grew up there I saw a lot of tourists, or westerners and a lot of English sites, French sites, German sites on the street or a restaurant or tourist area. So that might have influenced my interest in the language because I saw from my real life that learning a foreign language was very useful. At first, Saria
10: wanted to learn every language he could. He wanted to be a translator. But as he studied Mandarin Chinese, French, Spanish, and Italian alongside English and Thai, he soon found there was more to language than just the vocabulary
9: to learn a new language not just new sets of words and grammar you will get new way of um, seeing the world you know, through other cultures eyes or eyeglasses mm, because different sets of words uh, or vocabulary may reflect some um, local tradition or culture mm. the more foreign languages I have learned the more I have learned about our or my own mother tongue, too, because sometimes when I compare between uh, Thai and other foreign languages, I find some similarity and differences
10: now instead of translating, Surya spends his time teaching others his mother
9: tongue. It would be much better to make people um, speak a new language mm, without the help of translator or interpreter and and sometimes as you may have heard the uh, phrase loss in translation, you know, so it's better to read or listen and understand the um, original text without the translation mm, because some ideas or some feelings mm, are kept in the original language. Mm.
10: For Surya, language is more than just a set of words or a list of grammar rules. In his mind, language has a soul.
9: To learn a new language is to to become a new self. Mm.
10: So while it was snowing here, what's it like in Thailand?
9: We are hot. In terms of food, temperature, and also our temper, I think so. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> mm.
0: Oh, my God, Taylor! So that intro though
9: <laughs> <laughs> I just
1: really love the music that's playing in the background while they're talking about the snowfall. it just it fits so well it's so beautiful
0: and I remember sitting in the studio when we first did it. It was like week i think it was our fifth show with stephen uh Stephen Johnson hosted, and we all just like sat and were like like because it was just it was just such a moment. It's like <sighs> like i'm that's one of like my first moments where I like had to stop and um just listen uh so that's why I had to put this on the show
1: yeah and even just now like we've both heard the piece before we both listened to the language show and we've heard the pieces that people have done but it came on and we both like took a minute we were like oh but that intro and like it it, we just it's one of those things where every time you listen to it it sort of hits you and you're like this is why I'm doing this like oh my god it's so good
0: so, and we'll be back with uh, another piece from our language show, which was just so amazing, um, later on. But I'm actually in the next piece, piece that we're playing. So some of our producers will reflect on meeting author Jumpa Lahiri in April for our wannabe show. Sheila Raghavendran takes us there right
11: now. She was right there. That's Sarah, our producer who's pretty stoked because she just caught a glimpse of author Jumpa Lahiri as she went up the stairs. It's Tuesday morning, and Sarah and I are at Hutton Honors College about to have a question-and-answer breakfast session with Lahiri, who is kicking off the Many Worlds, One Globe lecture series that celebrates Hutton's 50th anniversary. Lahiri is the author of some of my favorite books, such as The Namesake, and Interpreter of Maladies, and has received the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction, the Penn Hemingway Award, and many others. Basically, she's insanely successful, and I just felt like a small, wide-eyed mouse in her presence. She spoke at the Wittenberger Auditorium Monday afternoon, but Tuesday morning's breakfast was what we were really hyped about, getting to talk to someone that we aspire to be. I sat with our producer Sophia in Hutton's great room. We
0: actually have like a good
11: amount of ASR people here, which is Yeah, yeah, and our very own Sarah Pantville is a student host. She's a student host at the main table. I'm so nervous. (laughs) A seat at the speakers table is highly coveted, especially today. It's the chance to sit right next to your idol. We weren't allowed to record Lahiri's question-and-answer session, but she explained her appreciation for both short stories and novels, her intense relationship with Italian language, and her cultivation of identity. After the breakfast, Sarah, our producer Stephen, and I talked about our fascination with Lahiri, and Sarah boiled it all down to one question.
7: Why do we want to be Jhumpa Lahiri? Like, I would love to be Jhumpa Lahiri. I mean, at the same time, you know, you are yourself, you can only really ever be yourself, but... Like, what, what is it about her that we want to emulate, we want to be, do you think? You know. Well, at
9: it. well,
3: no, I know that there's the first kind of dumpy part of it, which is um, my friend and I talk a lot about how it's stupid that we're kind of attracted to titles and accolades. It's easy to say I want to be like Jhumpa Lahiri because she has, like, practically every literary prize you can get, and she got them very young. Um, but that, while intellectually we know that that's not – what is in the longest run fulfilling it's still attractive that's my first instinct with it and it's a really stupid one and you know when you're self-aware you're like that's i mean all of my experiences tell me that that's not what's actually fulfilling and that's not what sustains you it really isn't um and uh so it's the first instinct it is also the most primal and stupid one (laughs) um and I guess every caveman wants to get a Pulitzer. Mm-hmm.
11: Lahiri's titles and accolades are proof of her success. Yeah, and like Stephen said, we're all attracted to that attention. Just admire that. and I think our generation in particular, just the idea of celebrity, we have taken that and run with it. Um, for some reason, fame is just very appealing, even though we hear horror stories about it. Stephen said that the other reason we want to be Lahiri is because of her fearlessness.
3: Yeah, I think it's that willingness to engage with the world in a, in a, in a strange way um, and the bravery to devote your life basically to a career that is not a career what is impressing about being a writer is the willingness to do it especially now
11: Sarah said she's also drawn by Lahiri's motivation
7: she decided as an adult to go out and learn a language and like she took the time and she moved across yeah. the world to do it like, that's dedication. She seems like a very dedicated person. I feel like that's a quality, like, I really admire in her.
11: We also got to talk to Charlene Brown, the Extracurricular Activities Director for Hutton. She talked to us about the speakers Hutton brings in for events like these and what she hopes students take from them.
12: It's wonderful to meet these people and know how how textured and rich their lives are. They're not just that person who wrote that book. They're that person who lives this broader life, who has parents, who has children who interacts with them and so it's just there's so much to gather
3: and that none of them have ever um, none of them ever pretend to know what success actually means or looks like (laughs) or how to get there, every single one will basically get asked the question how do I get to where you're at and they'll all say there's no one single path Like I have no idea
12: Well, it's it's so interesting how often they have not gone in a straight path Mm -hmm. your generation is asked I think more than some of the previous generations, but certainly a lot. Um, what are you going to be doing when you graduate? What are you going to be doing 10 years down the road? What are you going to do at the peak of your career? Those are just standard questions. And what's striking is how many of these people, could, if they answered that question at your age, would not have answered it as to what they are. They're, they've they've found something else.
11: Being able to meet Jhumpa Lahiri and other Jhumpa Lihiris, other highly successful people that we want to be, is really, really cool.
12: It just adds to the joy of living to be able to have met her, to think about her, to talk about her.
11: The song you're listening to is called Diversity by Business Failure. For American Student Radio from Indiana University in Bloomington, I'm Sheila raghavendran
0: so i couldn't do a best of show without featuring the best interview i'd ever done uh for our snapshot show back in april abby gibson and i were following a doula at the farmer's market who was giving out henna tattoos it was there we met the most incredible young girl hi we're with a radio group on uh from indiana mm-hmm. university would you mind if we just recorded um
13: sure Okay. Why?
0: We have a radio show oh, cool. and we're doing cool. stories in 24 hours and so we just decided to come over here and find a story. Oh cool. So, have you ever gotten a henna tattoo before?
13: Yeah, once when I was about 7. I've been I've been coming to the farmer's market since I was really young and once when I was about 7, I went into the square near City Hall and they were doing henna tattoos. And I got one. It took a while to dry, though.
0: I guess.
12: Um,
13: what, um, so, what do you think you're gonna get? I actually don't know if I'm gonna get a tattoo because I want to get a tamale in the food area, and I only have eight dollars, and they cost five dollars, so I'm being careful with my money.
0: Oh, where do you
13: do, you do chores? Is that how you get your allowance? Actually, I used to, but I don't anymore because I just had, you know, I just, this, you, were bu- you know, busy. moved on to, you know, fifth grade, and it's busy. Yeah. Uh, I, remember, I remember those days. So,
0: so, do you think you'll get something, you know, or are you just looking right now? Probably
13: not, but I still like looking at the really nice designs. What do,
0: you, what do you see? Like, what what's what jumping out at you?
13: Like a bird with spirals, a bird with very intricate wings, a $3 small seahorse, and a moon with a face of squirrels, and a beautiful flower or with intricate designs and circles and concentric ovals. Those are some big words <laughs> for a fifth grader. Intricate, concentric, <laughs> where do you learn those words? I don't know, well I used to listen to audiobooks when I was younger a lot, and I just have a good vocabulary. Wow! An expansive vocabulary.
9: <laughs> do you
1: mind if I borrow this for just a second so she can
9: choose hers?
2: Sure. Thank,
1: Thank you. you. Mm-hmm. We'll be back in
9: just a moment.
1: <laughs> Are you
2: ready to go on? We're yeah. We're looking forward to Thank the you tomorrow. Have yeah, so a great day. <laughs>
0: what a girl oh my god i we talk taylor i feel like we like this is a conversation we've already had we talked about this when we actually did our snapshot show when we played it because it's just who is she who is this girl
1: <laughs> how is it that i can relate to all of the problems of a fifth grader <laughs> she's
0: got the expansive vocabulary she's got a need for tamales She's like, I got my own money. I'm too busy with school. But she's
1: financially struggling. She's... She can't decide between the tattoo or the tamales. <laughs> and
0: the the fact that she she's in fifth grade. This girl's in fifth grade, and she refers to when I was younger. Like, like oh, it's so great. I'm like what when you were like six. <laughs>
1: What is younger to you? You're still so young.
0: But uh, actually, another one of the reasons I chose this uh, that chose this little clip was also because it was part of our snapshot show, which was kind of our first like creative storytelling venture. Do you want to kind of describe? Uh, yeah. what, do you want to describe what we both participated? Do you want to describe what it was?
1: So the snapshot was an attempt to produce stories in twenty four hours. But pretty good attempt. We I did would well. say we did a solid job with that. We um we had twenty four hours to find a story, report on it, and then produce a piece. Now, Sophia followed a doula through the farmers market. Yeah, with Abby with, Gibson, um, Hannah tattoos, and that sort of thing. Myself and another producer, Morgan, we did a fictional piece following the bikes of little 500 because that was shortly after. And I'd never done a fictional piece before, but I'd done a piece in 24 hours. So we were all trying to just experiment and do something new that week.
0: And, uh, yeah, there was two other groups that participated. Um, and it was, I feel like it was just a really good practice in, in doing stuff intentionally in 24 hours. Sometimes our pieces we end up producing in, uh, just 24 hours anyway. But oh yes, uh, oh, yes. but uh, oh, yes. but this was I feel like a good ex- good kind of practice for us to kind of think on our feet. You did improv for the first time, oh. uh, and I think I I liked it. I think it went well.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the things that that show sort of highlighted is that American Student Radio, like we are a bunch of students, we aren't necessarily professionals, so we need to learn. Like it's not just a thing where you do the same thing every week, and so we try to challenge ourselves and challenge each other. And that was just one example of how we did that. Like we were like, you have 24 hours, good luck. And yeah. that's what we did.
0: And that's definitely something we want to do more in the future. So um, our next piece is actually from the, the, sh- the first show you hosted yeah. um, over spring break. So we asked our producers to reflect on home and Sarah Panfield brought us this story of her grandparents who have been together nearly 63 years. This is one of my
14: favorite shirts. I definitely don't it. It looks to. very soft. Yeah, it is. This I've worn. This,
7: this is my 84-year-old Busha, which okay, is Americanized shirts. Polish for grandmother.
14: Here, where are those. I will use
7: that. I will use that. She's sorting through clothes in plastic bins with my mother, Great. planning to donate to a Catholic charity. I'll
14: put that one in.
7: And these are all
14: his,
7: his, his, okay. My grandparents live in a cozy blue home, decorated with crosses, framed photos of loved ones posing at weddings or reunions, a smattering of Mickey Mouse paraphernalia. When you look around this house, what are some of your
14: favorite things? Um, I don't
12: know.
14: Just being, you know, there really is no, Really, there's there are pictures of our children, our grandchildren, our great grandchildren that I treasure very much. As for favorite things, um there really isn't any uh I think just being here with Barney all these years is is my favorite, you know.
7: Barney is her husband, my judge There are pictures.
14: Yeah. I could say, yeah, I like that picture, I like that picture. But there there really isn't anything that I would say I couldn't live without. Because they are nothing but things.
7: In a few months, my grandparents will move into an assisted living residence near their oldest son. They'll pack up belongings accumulated over their 80 years, toss out others, and head to a new home. My Boucha said she's scared, that she's always felt scared with each move of
14: her life. Well, it was the same thing when we moved here back in 1991 leaving a place that we had lived for 25 years leaving a place where our children grew up i think it at, at this stage of the game being the age i am the age we are uh, it's frightening there will be family there i would never move any place where there was no family i would love to stay here uh, i love the area i love the people and i love i love the climate but We can't take care of this home ourselves. I
7: hadn't been to visit my grandparents in their home in Desert Hot Springs in a decade since I was 10. When I did visit, I wanted to talk to my Boucha about leaving home for what will likely be the last move of her lifetime. I don't know what the future
14: holds. I guess this is where I have to really stop and think, which we did before, trust in our Lord, and that's all.
7: How should you make a home? She responded, full of love. It has been the guiding principle of her life, informing her even more than her faith.
14: At one point,
7: my busha had two suitors who proposed to her, my judja and a man named Fritz. Then my judja wrote her a love
14: letter. While I was out dating Fritz, Barney wrote this letter for me and was written July 27, 1952. I'm going to cry. Dear Mary, this is Sunday evening and I don't have anything to do, so I think I'll answer your letter. I guess I owe you one. I want you to know that I do miss going out with you. In fact, I miss you very much. And I think of you Always. My only wish in this life is to make you happy, but I don't want to be selfish about it. As far as I'm concerned, no one contains more truth. No one is more serious, sincere than you are, Mary, and I could be no more truthful and no more sincere than when I say I love you very much. Well, Mary, have fun, stay happy, and don't forget the goal for which you are striving in September. With love, Barney.
7: Her goal was to be a nurse. She was the only one in her family to pursue higher education. The only one, it seemed at the time, with a chance to achieve a future wealth, perhaps marry a doctor or a wealthy man who could provide her with the finer things
14: in life. But she chose to make a life with my judge. And uh, I made up my mind after I got this letter that I was going to marry him and not Fritz. We did get married on a shoestring. Bought a stove for $5. The only thing new we ever bought was a bedroom set. Bought a refrigerator for 15 Bought a table and chairs for $3. It was an apartment, Mm -hmm. a flat. They called it flats in those days. The landlord lived upstairs. Barney and I lived downstairs. And uh, it was just a one-bedroom. And when we had Barney, young Barney... Uh, his crib was in our room. After that, they moved around for my judge's work, from Buffalo,
7: New York, to Iowa, to Illinois, to Michigan City. And now,
14: what do you envision your new home to look like? I don't have the slightest idea. I really don't. It's going to be just a small apartment. The main thing about it is we won't have any responsibilities really in taking care of Food, cooking, laundry, everything will be taken care of. And in a way, I guess I will miss doing things. But I think it's the best for both of us. Um, I guess after 63 years, I don't think we could ever be separated. In fact, both of our wish was, when we do go, we want to go together.
7: Is it strange to see all of your kids and grandkids growing up and getting older?
14: (laughs) Oh, 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 oh. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes. What's what's fascinating and enlightening, really, is to see our children, how they have our children married, have their own little families, their families have families, and now we have a great, great grandchild. Um, It's... It's a good feeling to know that our family will continue.
7: Okay, I want to ask you the a cliche question. Okay, mm-hmm. in all of your eighty four years, you know what what advice do you have?
14: <sighs> mm. What advice? We've always said our motto has always been love one another, and that's been our motto since umpteen years ago and we've, we've stuck to it we've had our hard times We I won't say we don't argue, we don't fight I can remember once we had an argument where I went and slept in the living room and he slept in the bedroom in the middle of the night both of us had a guilty conscience we met at the top of the stairs and almost fell down the stairs because <laughs> we hugged and kissed each other and said I'm sorry and so uh, that, that's been our life we never go to bed without kissing one another and say we love you. we love you
12: Time, you know, like um, this is post Korea. No, this is pre Korea.
14: No, post Korea. Well, I been, never met him till after yeah, he was out been, of the service. Oh, okay. Oh,
12: yeah. See, I see. I was wounded on May 18, 1951. My Boucha, like my dad, and,
7: and I all talking and one was, night about my grandparents' meeting and the
12: proposal. <laughs> Following New Year's is when we we, we first met there, right? Finally, and then uh, it took me all the way till October to ask her to marry me. So now we're going. October thirteenth. Not that long, really.
7: In their day,
14: no, only a year, not even a year. October thirteenth. No, it
12: had to be more than a year, huh?
14: No, it was 1952. Yeah. And I graduated in September. We went to Vinnie and Trudy's wedding, and you asked me then to marry you. Yeah. And then in October, you, Sir Teeth, you gave me the ring.
12: Yeah. But I was, I, I was afraid to ask her, so she might say no. Because I was crazy about her.
7: For American Student Radio in Bloomington, I'm Sarah Panfil.
0: So, Taylor, you hosted the show where this piece was, and you said that you wanted to talk about this piece, or maybe just your experience hosting this home show, which actually happened um, in the middle of spring break.
1: Yeah, so the home show was really interesting, because obviously no one was in Bloomington, no one was around to necessarily produce pieces, so people kind of went home. Our producer, Nissa, had a little thing about going back to Texas, and she recorded inside the airplane, and it was really fun which was kind of what I was expecting to get. I wasn't expecting to get anything like that. Like, that piece is just so emotional and moving and, like, deep. And it really did get to the heart of, like, what home is. And I was not expecting anything like that to come out of everyone being on vacation for a week. So it just, like, it's beautiful. It's one of my favorite pieces.
0: And she, I think she she made that um, over spring break when she was in California, so she took time out of her break, so... We appreciate all the all the producers who worked on that show and, and made pieces. But...
1: Absolutely, yeah. And I know for some people, like, it did. It took a lot of time, and it's really difficult. And that piece, you're listening to it, and you can just tell that, like, Sarah cares a lot, and that's so, so cool. Oh, my heart. <laughs>
0: So um, our producer, Catherine De La Rosa, is an incredible writer. Uh, We love her so much and brought us this travel narrative for our language show. So this is the second piece from that show about a time that language was used as a weapon. It all happened on a dusty road to church in Parma, Italy.
4: The summer before I started high school, I went to Europe with my mom and siblings for three weeks. We spent most of this time in Italy. When my mother came to New York from the Philippines in the 90s, one of her first friends in America was a slightly older Filipino woman named Sylvia. Though we're from Kentucky, the two of them remained friends through the years. So when my mom decided we had to see the Vatican, Sylvia came along. Over 80% of people in the Philippines are Catholic. We're one of the most Catholic countries in the world, after Brazil and Mexico. Italy has the biggest Filipino population in Europe, and is 91% Catholic. While my mother and Sylvia came to America, Sylvia had a brother who left the Philippines for Italy. He had at least six children scattered across the country. For most people, three weeks in Europe is super expensive. We saved money by staying with Sylvia's nieces and nephews. These were strangers, hosting Americans they'd never met before because their aunt asked them to. I was not excited for this trip. I was 14, the worst age of all, and I don't speak Tagalog, the language spoken by most Filipinos. Other than English, I knew a few Tagalog phrases and the titles of operas. We would be staying with people we didn't know, who spoke Italian, Tagalog, and smatterings of English. I was reliant on them, yet we couldn't carry a conversation. The first person we stayed with was one of Sylvia's nieces, who lived just outside of Parma, a city in northern Italy famous for prosciutto and parmesan cheese. It was around five when we piled into the niece's stick shift to go to Parma. Sylvia took shotgun while my mom, brother, sister, and I piled into the back. It was hot. A long, dusty road led into Parma. All the windows were open, and the radio played American music. The women spoke Tagalog, some gossip about mutual friends they'd somehow made while on different continents. I didn't know what they were saying, but they used that universal tone of conspiracy you hear in any group of middle-aged women. Then the conversation died. It started with the driver, Sylvia's niece. She rolled the window shut, turned down the radio, stopped talking. Sylvia was the last to catch on. I turned to see what had caused their silence and looked out the windshield. Down the dirt road, around eight black girls stood on either side. They looked young, some of them young as I was, maybe even younger. They wore sequin tube tops and tight miniskirts, all in loud, clashing colors. They stood car lengths apart, flanking the road like guards at a procession. Against the green of trees in the heat of June, they were spectacles. I was 14. I knew what prostitution was. I'd seen pretty woman. From my Catholic education, I knew Mary Magdalene, disciple of Jesus, was a prostitute. That was the extent of my prostitution knowledge. The car in front of us honked, a bright chirp like a gunshot, and stopped in front of one of the taller girls, an older one. A fat, hairy, white arm dangled out the driver's window. The girl climbed in, and he drove away. I understood what I'd just seen, numbly. The shock felt distant, like something far away had broke. The car rolled closer and closer. We passed them steadily. One, two, three, four girls never looked up at us from the ground. We were near the end of this line. Only one girl left when Sylvia's niece honked. The car slowed and moved to pull over. The girl walked toward us on the passenger side, waiting for us to stop, when the driver sped up again. All the women laughed, including my mother. Mm-hmm. Thousands of women and girls are trafficked into Italy for sex work every year. A majority of these sex slaves come from Nigeria, kidnapped or lured into Italy. Prostitutes are a common sight on Italian streets, enough to become a point of national debate. I didn't know any of this at the time. I imagine those girls are Nigerian, or stolen from somewhere else in Africa. I know they're young and I imagine they're scared and trying their best to get by. These girls didn't know Italian, they didn't know English, and they especially didn't know the Tagalog that taunted them from the confines of that passing car. All they knew was what a honk meant. It was a command, and then they reanimated, like a switch had been flipped. I went to the Vatican a week later, and wondered if those girls knew the mass in Ebo like my mother knew it in Tagalog. I wondered if they worked the streets in Rome, outside St. Peter's Basilica. I heard the rosary in Italian and wondered if those girls realized that with nearly 80 churches in Parma, their customers were Catholic. As a freshman in college, free to ignore the Sabbath, I think of them. I don't pray in English or recite the Tagalog I knew when I was younger. I think of how, in Parma, a man can go to church and pick up a sex slave on the way home. How girls stolen from different countries with different languages on their tongues stand in lines, silent and still, responding only to honks. Music provided by Ponnington Bear under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial International License.
0: And that was actually Catherine's first story with us. Um, it's amazing and chilling. And for those of you who don't know, Catherine is actually the voice of our Aliens Conspiracy Theory journalism lesbians that you hear in our um, sonic idea at the beginning at the top of the show and so we love her for that and we love her for this piece and finally our last piece of the of our best of show one of our news producers paul yoon um, is going to share how he transformed an unexpected and unwanted break into one of adventure on our break show
15: summer fall winter and spring breaks we look forward to them we plan for them and we're curious to know what our friends did over them But whenever we experience breaks in our lives that are unplanned or unexpected, like
5: breaking a string,
16: breaking a bone, or a broken heart,
15: we don't like breaks anymore. My family had to take a pretty big, unexpected break in the beginning of this year. Here's my sister with a short version.
16: So I am a part-time student here at IU currently because my family unexpectedly had to stay in Korea for the first half of the school year.
15: And why were you unexpectedly stuck in Korea?
16: Because of immigration issues that take a while to explain.
15: And my story this week is a long version. My family moved to the U.S. when I was in 6th grade, which was about 10 years ago. And my parents started a Korean restaurant in West Lafayette, which allowed us to obtain an E-2 business visa. If you're a student under your parents' E-2 business visa... You're in this strange crack in the university system where you get to pay in-state tuition, but still you are considered as an international student. Normally international students have either an F-1 or j J-1, which you apply for ahead of time. Our family was in the final stage of becoming a permanent resident, in which the only action left was an interview with the U.S. Embassy in Korea. So we flew to Korea Christmas Eve of 2015, as our lawyers were confident that the interview would be scheduled sometime early January. Our family had a good time early in the break, visiting relatives, going on vacation, and catching up on Korean junk food. However, as time went on without hearing any news from the U.S. Embassy, we started to get worried. Eventually, it was a week before IU's spring semester began when we realized our lawyers were wrong. By that time, it was too late to do anything. Our E-2 that we thought we didn't need anymore had expired. It was too late to apply for a student visa and it would have been illegal to attend school at least for a few weeks under the B-2 travel visa. I was stuck in the crack of the American immigration system. I was the glitch in the matrix. I was a lot like Tom Hanks' character in the movie, The Terminal. You don't
8: qualify for any of these things.
15: You are at this time simply unacceptable. I was stuck in Korea when my life was back in Bloomington. My plan since freshman year to run for IUSA office was ruined. I couldn't take all the classes I wanted so I had to drop a major. The girl I had a massive crush on was planning on graduating early and my decision to decline an internship last semester thinking I could do better during the spring backfired. I looked into a lot of options studying abroad in Korea, London, Shanghai but it was too late to sign up. I sent an email to the U.S. Immigration Services as well with an expedite request, and I even seriously considered serving in the Korean military to avoid all the important issues in my life. As much as I am in peace with it now, I was very depressed back then. Esther is a sweet, optimistic one in the family who handled the situation a better way. Instead of wallowing in sadness, she used her time in a positive way. I
16: definitely started hitting the Korean bookstores more. And I just grabbed these books and started reading and then started writing more. And for me, producing work of mine that was meaningful, that was when I I felt that this is okay and I am happy with the situation I'm in currently.
15: Then we came up with the idea of using our refunded scholarship money to take a trip to Europe. By the time we started planning, my expedite request had been accepted and the interview was scheduled for early February, meaning Esther and I could come back for the second eight weeks of spring semester. After a successful interview, Esther and I traveled Europe for three weeks. In the month of February, we ended up visiting eight countries in three different continents. We stayed in different Airbnbs, doing a mix of touristy and local things. And we started at London and traveled all over Western Europe, met up with some of our best friends in Rome who were studying abroad, and flew back from Madrid.
16: You know, life really hits you with things um, in the most unexpected times. And this is how it's going to be. And this is a great way to, um, like, going to Europe unexpectedly and then going to all these places that I've been dreaming but never really thought to visit um, during my college years. That made me feel like, wow, I can really do what I want in my
15: life. Yeah, Esther is absolutely right. We had this extraordinary opportunity to do something we've always wanted to do. I mean, It was awful having life not panning out the way I wanted it to, but I got a three month long vacation from it. And from that break, I got to eat a three course meal next to Andrew Garfield, the Spider Man himself.
16: Andrew Garfield has a really sexy scruff.
15: Visit over 10 museums and see a Rembrandt in person, and busk with strangers in Rome singing my guilty pleasure song, Wonderwall. Life wasn't what I left behind in Bloomington. Those are plans. Life was there when I was making my broken plans into something extraordinary. Music credit goes to Podington Bear and Ketsa. From American Student Radio, this is Paul Yoon.
0: What a great piece to end on. So if you want to hear more stories like these, you can check out our SoundCloud or iTunes. I highly recommend the interview producer Sarah Panfield did with author and Moth Story Slam host David Crabb from two weeks ago. You can keep up with when our next shows will be this summer on our Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back soon.
1: Thanks for listening to American Student Radio. We're produced by students from Indiana University in Bloomington. Follow us on Twitter at ASR Voice and like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash American Student Radio. Our theme music is provided by Lunamatic. Check out Lunamatic's music at www.soundcloud.com lunamatic. That's L-U-N-A-M-A-T-I-C. We'll have new episodes every Sunday on WIUX and streaming on our website at www.americanstudentradio.org.